Last week in our study in Acts 10, we ended with verses 34 through 35, and I'll read them again right now. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. My emphasis last week was on verse 34, um, about God showing no partiality. Now, my point last week was that the Jews did believe God showed partiality. This is the whole thing about the Jewish religion is, after all, were they not God's chosen people? Did God not say, I will be your God and you shall be my people? Now, that really sounds like a little bit of partiality here. And the Jews saw it as partiality because, of course, that is what he said. But what did that actually mean? Because one thing it did not mean was that all Jews were automatically saved. It did not mean that. Neither did it mean that they were necessarily better than anyone else or everyone else. The truth was, as far as, back, as far back as Genesis, God was saying that the righteous of every nation would be saved. Here in verse 35, Peter puts it another way. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, to Jewish ears... This would have been unacceptable. Um, They were God's chosen people. Final. That's it. Period. Okay? Uh, He had given them the law. He didn't give it to anybody else. Nobody else was under the law. Only the Jews were under the law. He had led them in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night through the wilderness and into the land of Canaan. What other nation could say that? And obviously no other nation could say that. They were the sons of Father Abraham. What other people could say that? So, How were Jews saved? How did they become acceptable to God if they were not saved by the fact of being Jews, by the fact of the Abrahamic covenant? Micah 6.8 gives God's word on what he expects of people. It goes, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does... And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Note first of all that it does not say he has told you, O Hebrew, what is good. It said he has told you, O man, what is good. God expects, no, God demands three things for man to be acceptable to him. To do justice. God is a just God. God loves justice. God hates injustice. And he hates the unjust. He wants man to love kindness. Justice, tempered with kindness or love, in a deeper sense, produces mercy. Okay? It's not just 
kindness that God is looking for. He's looking for kindness with uh, with justice. And God wants us, thirdly, to walk humbly with Him. God hates the haughty, the proud. And anyone of any nation can do these things and fulfill the requirements of God in Micah 8. Now, a Jew of Peter's day, and uh, even a Jew of this age, could argue that you can't walk humbly with God if you don't know God. Okay? Now see, one of the things that the Jews have against anyone else being righteous or acceptable to God is that they don't think anybody else knows God. God revealed himself directly to the Hebrew nation. You know, to Abraham. Well, here's the thing. Abraham was not a Jew. Okay. Now, you will get a lot of pushback from Jewish websites uh, sites about this. Abraham was not a Jew. He did not live under Jewish law. Okay? The law would not come until he had been dead for 400 years. There was no law. Abraham was not Jewish. He did not live under Jewish law. And though he is called the first Jew, and he was the father of the family line that became the Jews, you have to remember that he was also the father of other family lines. Lines did not become Jewish. God had told him that he would be the father of many nations, and indeed he was. But through the family line of Ishmael, that family line was not Jewish. And if Islam is to be believed that they too are children of Abraham, and I'm not giving you that as a given right now, okay? Just because somebody claims something, I I don't... But they claim that they are children of Abraham through Ishmael. So, if that is true, then Abraham was the father of both the Jews and the anti-Jew, anti-God people of Islam. So, the upshot here is that Abraham was not a Jew and not under Jewish law and there was no Jewish, as there was no Jewish law. So what was Abraham then? Well, he was a Chaldean. He was called out of Ur, Ur of the Chaldea. And what is that? That is a Gentile. Abraham was a Gentile. And saying he was a Gentile is not really saying anything of note about him. Gentile is simply the Latin word for nations. Uh, when I was talking about Cornelius earlier, and the uh, Cornelius, the the head of the household, had freed ten thousand slaves, and they all took the gens Cornelius. Okay, gens means family. Gentile comes from gens in the Latin. Gens simply means nation. 
Everyone was a Gentile because everyone was of one nation or another. The same with the Hebrew word goyim, by the way. And we now take the word goyim as an insult uh, that Jews use against non-Jews. Goyim is the same word as Gentile in Hebrew. Okay? And beyond that... Uh, in Exodus 19, verse 6, God calls Israel Goy. Okay? Uh, it says, You shall be to me, Jehovah says, a kingdom of priests, a Goy Kadosh. Okay? Which means a holy nation, or put in the word order, a nation. Holy. Okay? That's what God says. The distinction between Jews and Gentiles was only in relation to, with a Jew to another Jew later on in their history, where they took themselves out and became, and everybody else was the other. To Jews, there was the Jewish nation, and then all the other nations, or other Gentiles. So if Abraham was a Gentile and not a Jew under Jewish law, where did his being deemed by God as righteous come from? Obviously not from observing the law. There was no law to observe. Uh, Nor by obeying ceremonial observances. There were no ceremonial observances. Nor by keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath was part of Jewish law. It was given by God in the garden, but this is not how he was found to be righteous, nor by abstaining from unclean foods, because there weren't any unclean foods. So the answer is found in Genesis 15, 1 through 6, which reads, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith. Let's put this another way. How were God's people in Old Testament days saved? Well, the qualifications have not changed since the beginning of time. God must call one to himself. That person must be righteous to be accepted, acceptable to God. And that person must be a believer. But a believer in what? Or rather, who? 
Well, that also hasn't changed since the beginning of time. John 14, 1 through 7, has Jesus explaining the only way of salvation for everyone of every age. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not sold, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me. Okay? Now, I know that the Jews will, will dispute this. I, there's no doubt about it. But Jesus did not say, from now on, no one comes to the Father but by me. There was no qualifier in his statement. There was no wiggle room for anyone to weasel around what Jesus said here. Nobody could get around the finality of his pronouncement. But the Old Testament saints, what about them? They lived before Jesus, before the Messiah came to live among us. How could they come to the Father through Jesus? Now, the, I know the evangelical formula, okay, that it's commonly given that we in our time look backwards to the cross to what Jesus did for us there on Calvary. The evangelical formula is that the Old Testament saints looked forward to the cross. Now that has always sounded like a theological trope to me, okay? Getting around the obvious fact that Jesus had not come. So how could they? How could they put their faith in Jesus for their salvation? If a simple formulation for salvation is to be chosen by God, personal righteousness, faith in God, it also has to include belief in the Messiah. The God with us in Isaiah, and God saves Yeshua in Hebrew, or Jesus in the Greek. It's got to include belief in Jesus. So let's look at some Old Testament figures Since we mentioned Abram, Abraham first, we'll start with him. Was Abram called by God? Genesis 12 says, now the Lord said to Abram, the Lord said to Abram, okay? It doesn't say call, but it does say said. So give me this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Clearly God called Abram. 
to be a part of God's family. We saw earlier that Abraham in Genesis 15 believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham was called by God and called righteous by scripture. He was a believer. He believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. So among the things he believed was that through his family line, the nations of earth would be blessed. We just saw that written, written above it. Abraham believed God and believed God would send the Savior of the world to bless the world through him. We don't have that in so many words. You have to understand we read what we read here is a summation and it does not give us fully everything. But God, but Abraham believed and believe that through him all everyone would be blessed. Okay, but okay, that's Abraham. Okay, and come on, we know that Abraham is always called Father Abraham by the Jews and by Christians as well. We know that he was saved. So let's take some others. Take Moses, for example. God very obviously chose Moses, calling him from a burning bush. God accepted Moses as righteous, speaking with him face to face. Now, remember, God did not even do that with uh, Miriam and uh, Aaron. He said, no, I speak to my servant Moses face to face. So Moses was chosen of God, righteous. But what about the whole believing in Jesus then? Okay? Though no one comes to the Father but by me. Did Moses believe in Jesus? Well, consider his own words in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my mouth, words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command them. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require, uh, require it of him. Now Moses talks about a prophet being right, uh, raised up like him, and that God himself will require that he speak the words of God, and also that everyone will listen to him. Moses was called by God righteous and a believer and he was looking forward to the coming of the one who would be a prophet like him. How about David? God called David when he was just a shepherd boy and we all know the story of um, the prophet Samuel bringing all these sons of Jesse before him and and none of them were acceptable until, until they brought David in from the fields and showed him to, to Samuel. Was David righteous? Scripture calls David 
a man after God's own heart. So yes, God accepted David as righteous. But did David believe in the Messiah? 2 Samuel 6 says, In your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Except that we know David knew he was going to die. David did not think that this was about him. But does it show David believed in the Messiah, Jesus? Well, consider Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Translation, the Lord Jehovah says to my Lord, the Messiah, Jesus, sit at my right hand. And it goes on, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Yes, David was chosen by God. He was accepted by God as righteous. And he believed in the Messiah. Job. Job is considered widely to be the oldest biblical writing, the oldest book in the Bible. Was Job called by God? Well, God says to the accuser, Satan, consider my servant Job. Okay, so let's, let's just consider Job called at that moment. Okay, if God says, consider my servant Job, was Job righteous, acceptable to God? God said, there was none like him on earth, blameless and upright. Okay? So yes, Job was righteous. But did Job believe in the Messiah? Okay? In Job 19.25, and you know this verse because it's quoted in the New Testament. In Job 19.25-27, it says... For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. Okay? I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. How about the prophet Isaiah? I mean, we're just, I'm just throwing people out here, okay? Who wrote, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Do I really have to go? <laughs> go to Isaiah? And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In another, in another uh, 
chapter, he says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. What do you think Isaiah thought about? Now, prophet of God, so okay, he was called by God, we know that. He was a prophet of God, we know he was considered righteous by God, and he believed in the Savior. He knew the Savior was coming. He was looking towards the cross. I mean, here, he, I, I, I can see if you want to say, Mike, and the, and the other ones, ah, he was looking for the Messiah. Here, he's looking for the cross. There is no doubt about it that he's looking for the Messiah that is going to the cross for his sins. I could go on and on about how salvation came to the Old Testament fathers. I had a stick, a stack. I never know how long these things are going to go on until I... And so I do all my research and I bring up all these pages of quotes from different... We haven't gotten to Micah. Uh, you know, we can go on and on with this. I think it's enough to show you that what I thought is theological wordsmithing to get around the fact that they did not know the Messiah and therefore were not relying on them is not true at all. They knew the Messiah. God had spoken to them. They were expecting him and they believed him. Suffice it to say that the road to salvation has not changed since the garden. We see in the New Testament that Jesus personally called his disciples by name. Okay? Jesus called them by name. They were fishermen. They were farmers. One was a tax collector. The Apostle Paul is singled out dramatically by name on the road to Damascus. Right? God said, God wasn't speaking Greek at that time. He was speaking Aramaic. So uh, he said, Saul, you know, why are you persecuting me? God called him by name. For all these people, salvation came the same way. Called by God into his family, their righteousness accepted by God, and faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This was all, has always been the only path to salvation. Okay? Is that with a... <laughs> As that for a prelude, we now come to our passage for today. 30 minutes into the sermon. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God chose no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. With this, Peter proceeds to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to Cornelius and his friends and his family. And for Cornelius, this is his final step to everlasting life. 
We've already seen God call Cornelius by name, right? And then we see that he is found righteous and acceptable to God. He says, your, your uh, alms and your prayers have ascended before God. God knows he's a righteous man. And now there's only one thing that keeps him from salvation. Because Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. So God has Peter go to Caesarea. I love that. God had Peter go to Caesarea to tell Cornelius the one more thing he needed in his life. And he needed to know about the Savior and he needed to accept Jesus as his Savior. Now the last step that he and everyone before him and since him needs on the path to salvation is about to be preached to him. The good news of the life, ministry, death of the Messiah and all that that means to those who have placed their faith in him. The very last thing that Cornelius or any Gentile before the Jews or the Jews or the Gentiles after Christ all the rest that they needed to know was Jesus Christ and him crucified let's close in prayer Lord we see that it is true not that we doubted it before but that no one comes to the Father but by Jesus not now not 2,000 years ago at the time of Jesus not 4,000 years ago at the time of Moses not from the Garden of Eden no one comes to the Father but by the Son Lord we thank you for this truth and we thank you for showing us through 4,000 years of your word showing that this wasn't something new at the time of Jesus but that had been preached from the beginning of time for all of recorded history Lord we pray that we will believe in the Messiah in Jesus Christ that we may also have eternal life we pray this in Jesus name Amen.